There's an element in which even suffering requires a stewardship on our part, right? Yeah. When the Lord takes us through different things, to steward that well, and part of that is helping others who are walking behind us. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action, and today we're talking to Dr. Craig Svensson, who serves as a Dean Emeritus of Pharmacy and Professor of Medicinal Chemistry and Molecular Pharmacology at Purdue University here in Lafayette, and also an adjunct professor of pharmacology and toxicology in the Indiana University School of Medicine. So Craig, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us today. It's joy to be here. You know, you hear that title and you think, wow, this is a man that God has blessed academically. And that's the way that I think of you in part as a man who's been a marvelous steward of just the mind that God has given you and the opportunities to receive training and now to be training so many others. But that's really just a small part of the story. You're also very faithful in our church. You lead a couple of Bible studies. In fact, I didn't have time to tell you this before we got started this morning because of our schedules, but my day today began in the dentist chair. And so if my speech sounds a little bit slurred, that's why my dentist numbed me up in order to do some work on one of my fillings. Well, that was not my dentist's first engagement this morning because before that, he was in his weekly small group, which you, Craig, lead. And so he was telling me about how you guys are going chapter by chapter through the book of Ezekiel. And what a marvelous Bible study that must be. It's an eye-opening experience to do a study like that with a group of other men who are bringing their own experiences and their own insight into Scripture. And uh, just like the dry bones coming alive, you can see the Word of God coming alive. Amen. Amen. So to have someone like you that has so many academic credentials and also responsibilities, but also leading a men's Bible study like that, because of your love for the Word of God, you and your dear wife Sue also lead one of our small groups, and Sue serves in the homeless ministry. And so that's part of, I think, even the point of this podcast with you is just the possibility of a person advancing in their role in secular education at a secular university, and yet loving God, loving His Word, and being faithful in the church. So I'm very, very thankful for you. Well, it's a a blessing to be able to have a role in the local church. And, you know, Sue and I, we've been in different places and in different institutions, but always our lives have been tethered to the local church. And I think that that's critical for our health and is what the Lord wants us to do in serving. Yeah, thank you very much for that. What I'm really trying to get at in this particular podcast, though, is to talk with you about two books that you have written. They're both unusual, and I think they hit a very important niche in the biblical counseling ministry and the larger Christian world community, so I'm so glad for that. And so let's start with your book, When There's No Cure, How to Thrive While Living with the Pain and Suffering of Chronic Illness. 
you know, that's one of the things I love about the biblical counseling movement. There's no question that historically, at the beginning, we were talking a lot about sin, and, and we should have been talking about sin. The Bible says a lot about it, but probably not as much about suffering. And I think one of the corrective balances as other men and women have become involved in the movement is to put an equal amount of attention on the topic of suffering. And so I'm so glad that you have written on this, but I'd like to know just from a personal perspective, what was it that motivated you to write on this? Well, it was actually my daughter's suggestion that I write on this topic. And as the title implies, When There Is No Cure, it's really targeted specifically at people who have been diagnosed with an illness that's not going to take their life, but it's going to travel with them for the rest of their life, Mm -hmm. and it's going to significantly impair the way they live life. And it's a challenge to do that because chronic illness is very different than acute illness. And in acute illness, you've got a pain, you've got an ache, you know it's going to go away, and life is going to return back to normal or at least so you think. But when you're diagnosed with an incurable ailment, you know life is never going to be the same. And in fact, it will probably go downward from here. And as a consequence, the locus of suffering changes. When you have an acute illness, it's your body that's sick, and you know that's going to get better. But when you have an incurable ailment, the locus of suffering becomes your personhood. Mm. And that quickly means it's a heart issue. Interesting. And it's much deeper than the physical. And people therefore have a challenge trying to navigate the difficult waters of living with chronic illness because it's far beyond the physical. And that's where obviously many of the principles of biblical counseling can come in is dealing with the heart because to thrive in the midst of that, it really depends on how you respond to what happens to you. You can't change the circumstances of your life. You can't control what's going on with your body but you can control how you respond to those things. But there's a lot of hope in believing that, isn't there? Oh, certainly. And that's what you really want to give people is hope. This book is not written just to a Christian audience. As I sat down to write it, I had to think about who do I want to reach? Do I want to reach those who have the same faith as I do or reach a broader audience? So I decided to reach out to a broader audience. And then in the last chapter, I give my testimony of faith, of how I came to faith in Christ, and how that has empowered me to live struggling with three different chronic illnesses. Why did your daughter want you to write it? Was there, was there some backstory mm-hmm. to why she thought it was so important? You know, when I told her I was going to be stepping down as a dean at Purdue, I, I don't know, maybe this was about 18 months in advance, I told her I was going to step down. She asked me what I was going to do, and I told her I'd already started writing on a book on addiction and done research for it and everything. And she said, oh, I thought you'd write a book on living with chronic illness. You've done it for so long and done it well. I thought maybe you could help a lot of people do that. So that just kind of percolated in my mind. In fact, I went on a long trip for the university uh, right after that. And as I'm sitting on a plane thinking through, all these ideas came together. And so I just ran with it then. You know, I think that illustrates the beauty of the body of Christ and how the Lord gives different women and different men experiences and intellectual abilities to be able to serve the body, that the way the Lord's built me, I'm the kind of guy, I never get sick, I wake up every morning, I feel fine, I just go throughout my day, and on the one hand, I'm thankful for the health with which I've been blessed, but I think that makes it more challenging for me to be able to relate to somebody who is struggling with a chronic illness or any illness And I certainly couldn't speak to it from the perspective of any kind of a a medical perspective. And so for you, I'm so glad your daughter said that. 
And I'm so glad that you listened to her because you're able to give information to the body of Christ. And as you said, even to a broader audience that I know I, as a pastor, could not give. There's an element in which even suffering requires a stewardship on our part, right? Yeah. When the Lord takes us through different things, to steward that well, and part of that is helping others who are walking behind us and now starting on that same kind of journey. As Paul tells us, to share the comfort that we have received with others who need that comfort now. That's right. Can you give us a a basic synopsis of the the book and its contents? Sure. It's really trying to focus on many of the challenges that people who are living with chronic illness have, the difficulties they have navigating. What do you do when you feel like your doctor's not listening to you? (laughs) Uh, What do you feel? How do you live with the challenge of when no one knows what's wrong with you? You've got this constellation of symptoms, and no one can put a label on it. Or when you do get a label, no one knows how to help. There is no treatment that's available for you. How do you navigate those waters? How do you navigate the waters of people that misjudge you because you've got an invisible illness and they don't realize that the limitations that you're expressing aren't laziness? They're really a manifestation of your illness. How do you deal with the fear of knowing that your health is going to decline and it's going to change the way that you live life? How do you get outside yourself and not just focus on your own problems how do you be a help to other people? So it, it's really designed to give practical help in navigating those difficult waters as you're living with a chronic illness. Do you have any feel for the percentage of people in the average church who might fit into that category of living with a chronic illness? Yeah, probably about one in three at some period of time will live with a chronic illness. That is an incredible statistic. Yeah, and part of that is just the aging. As we age, it's going to happen body's going to start falling apart. As Ecclesiastes tell us, uh, it gives a vivid description of uh, body parts slowly declining. You know, if we live long enough, all of us are going to struggle with chronic illness of one sort or another that's not going to be reversed. So so how can a a counselee or or a counselor or or any of us, how do you have the, the proper respect for, on the one hand, everything that a medical doctor is bringing to the equation, but on the other hand, the sufficiency of Scripture and all that we have in the Word of God, how do we hold that together in Mm -hmm. a way that is thoughtful and helpful to the person that we're trying to help, or even processing it ourselves? I think recognizing that what you're facing is not only a physical issue, but also a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. And in fact, those might be the most important elements of living well while you have a chronic illness. The medical community is trained very well to deal with the physical issues, but not the heart issues. And that's where biblical counseling can often come in to help people deal with those hard issues. Because once again, it comes down to how do you respond to that reality? And to realize that what you're experiencing truly is a spiritual trial. I mean, we see that in Job exemplified more than anyone else, how even the enemy of our soul can use a physical ailment to drive a wedge between us and our relationship with God. And to recognize that that's a battle but it's also an opportunity to honor Jesus. Any enduring trial that we face gives us an opportunity to honor the Lord as we live through it in the power of the Spirit. And in doing so, we can give a credible testimony to the transforming power of the gospel to those who are watching us. Yeah. Is it possible for pastors and churches to have a, and biblical counselors, to have a synergistic relationship with people in the medical community and a collaborative relationship. So there's 
there's genuine respect on both sides because what you just said that those in the medical community they wouldn't even pretend to be trained in matters of the heart hopefully those of us who are more trained in the matters of the heart should not be pretending that we know more about medicine than we do is it possible to have a synergistic relationship and a collaborative relationship you know, I think it would be hard if they're not believers themselves. Obviously, we have many in the medical community that are in our church, and they understand the ability of biblical counseling for people to really transform lives and to help people endure trials. I think much of the medical community, as you might realize, looks a little askew at religious beliefs and as a means. And the problem is, is medicine today is very reductionist. We're just a big bag of cells, and everything that happens to us is related to what's going on in those cells. And that's why we see the medicalization of really normal responses to challenges in life. Interesting. And so I think it's difficult because of that perspective that is so overbearing in medicine today. But again, there are many believers in the medical community, and they understand that it's much deeper than that. Can you advise me, even as a pastor or someone who serves as a biblical counselor, even regarding the issue of tone? Because I could see if I talked about that too much, it could sound like I was dismissing all medical science or just setting up a a needlessly adversarial relationship with physicians. Yet on the other hand, if we don't speak into that from time to time, Persons may run to their doctors because they assume that's where all the answers are anyway. So can you advise people like me and others in the biblical counseling movement on the issue of tone? Respectful and compassionate. Mm. That what you are trying to do is provide people an opportunity to see that there is more than one avenue of help that is open to them. And sometimes that help is going to be an alternative. Sometimes it's going to be synergistic, depending on the issue, right? Sometimes you don't need medical care. What you need is spiritual care. You need pastoral care. And I think giving people the opportunity to see how that has been lived out probably is going to be more impactful than anything someone says. Hmm. In other words, when when they know people, whether it's in their small group or elsewhere in the life of the body, that has been helped through counseling, and they realize maybe that can help me as well. You know, I think when people in our church see someone like yourself or physicians or others in the medical community also doing like what you were doing this morning Mm -hmm. of, sure, you're accomplished in your field, and yet you love the Word of God enough that you want to do a chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Ezekiel with another group of men, that screams a loud message that medicine is not all there is, doesn't it? Right. Amen. So, you know, if somebody wants to get a copy of your book, how would they do that? Through the normal vehicles that we do today, right? Amazon's 90% or something. <laughs> you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other places like that. Or they could visit my author website, craigswenson.com. You know, I really think that, boy, for every pastor, having this book and knowing its content, it would help us be more compassionate in our preaching, I think, or in our expectations of people. You just blew me away by the stat you just gave that because as soon as you said one-third I just thought okay how often when I'm preaching or making some sort Mm -hmm. of an application am I keeping in mind some of the persons that you're talking to may have limitations that you don't even know about where they can't do everything you just encourage them to do at least to the degree that you think is right 
you need to dial it back, Pastor Viers. I mean, so so I need I need that in my heart. Biblical counselors need to be aware of this. Deacons, people who are involved in people ministry. So I'm um, thank you so much for taking the time to write the book. It's been a, a blessing to do it. It's been helpful to my own soul, which, as you know, just in the same way of presenting a sermon, mm-hmm. you preach to yourself, and when you write a book like this, you, you talk to yourself a lot, too. Oh, there's a lot of truth in that, for sure. Now, the, the second book that I'd like to highlight is a lot different. So the, the Painful Path of a Prodigal, Biblical Help and Hope for Those Who Love the Wayward and the Rebellious. Boy, even just saying that, and, you know, Craig, we prayed before we turned on the microphones of just who might hear this. And so this isn't an academic discussion. It's a discussion that has hearts of compassion for every person who's going to hear this, whether it's soon or, you know, this will live, this presentation will live Mm -hmm. beyond us. And so I just want everybody listening to know that we're very sensitive to how even me reading that title could strike a chord in a mom's heart or a dad's heart that goes very, very deep. Why did you choose to write this book? It really came out of our own journey, a 15-year journey with our youngest son, who dove into the depths of drug abuse and all of its attendant consequences, and who tragically died just one month after his 30th birthday. Mm. And in the wake of his death, as you might imagine, I had a lot of sleepless nights. Mm. And I began journaling just about our journey and the biblical lessons that we learned through that journey. I don't know for what purpose, I just did it. I didn't have any plan in mind. And it was good to rehearse the things that we'd learn and to think through and reflect. And ultimately, that came to be this book. There was a time when I came to see that would the Lord have us share this with others, even though it was, as the title says, a painful journey for us. Would he have us share it with others? And my my goal is to really point people to Scripture because there is much help and hope through this very difficult trial that we can find in the Word of God. And if we look elsewhere, we won't find the hope that we really need. Can you summarize some of the major points that you made in the book? Sure. I think what we've tr- I've tried to do is each chapter gives a little vignette of the types of challenges that we faced as the parents of a prodigal, and then where we can find help and hope in Scripture for that, such as how do you deal with the judgment of others that judge you because you have a child that's gone off the deep end? How do you embrace the forgiveness that Scripture offers? Because if you have a prodigal child, you're going to examine your parenting, and anytime you examine your parenting, you're going to find that you came up short in many different areas, right? So how do you embrace the forgiveness that Scripture offers to us? How do you answer the difficult questions about Why is my child doing this? Why have they become a prodigal? How do you face the hard realities of what the path of a prodigal says about the spiritual state of your child? Mm. How do you find the sufficiency in the grace that God gives for an enduring trial of this nature? So each of the chapters is really designed to point to biblical truth to help people hold on to those truths while they're going through the journey, but yet at the same time provide practical guidance for dealing with these difficult issues. You said that you journaled during this time. Is that something that you've typically done, or was that unique to this particular period of time in your life? There are moments that I have journaled when I've been walking through something specific, but I don't journal daily. I'm not a person who does that. And I can't tell you what really provoked it besides sleeplessness. I'd really sat down at my computer to begin working on this other book that I had already started. And rather than do that, I opened a new file and just started journaling. 
So I trust it was the Lord that was moving in my, my heart to do that. And when you say journaling, just on a practical note, you mean you were typing into your computer, you were yes. just writing things out yep. of your own heart. Yep. Do you think that that's something that you would recommend others who are struggling? I think it is a helpful way to be reflective on your experience and to really meditate deeply on what is the Lord doing in and through this. And that's why I said I there are moments in my life where I've gone through experiences that I wanted to capture what the Lord could teach me through this. Mm. And it's those moments that I've journaled. And, and I wonder if some or perhaps many who are listening to this, if they would take that advice, I believe it would be helpful to them as they just process the situation biblically. But then I also wonder if you and I might be talking to some writers right mm-hmm. now, so maybe some women who never thought about writing, some men who never thought about writing before, but who actually have some powerful things to mm-hmm. say because of what they've experienced, because of how it's drawn them closer to the Lord, that could be a help to the body of Christ if they would do exactly what you've said. Yes, for sure. So is there a sense in which people should never short-sell their ability to serve the body of Christ in this way? And, you know, and you can never tell how the Lord is going to use something. That's right. And one of the blessings of writing really both of these books is the response I've gotten Mm -hmm. to people that have uh, sent me emails or contacted me in some other way and told me how the Lord has used that writing, which I would have never anticipated. You know, I've written over 100 scientific papers, and (laughs) um, none of them have had the, the impact that these two books have had in changing people's lives. Wow. And so it's a real blessing to be able to, I mean, if it's just one. Shortly after I wrote the first book, I got a note from a guy who lives actually in another country, and he had just been diagnosed with an incurable ailment. Mm. And he said it was devastating him, and he didn't see how he could live with that knowledge. Mm. And he said, reading your book has helped me see that, yes, I can live through this. I can face this and live well. I, I said to Sue, if nobody else ever reads it, it was worth the time that it took me to write that book, if I can have that impact on even just one person. Well, and isn't that interesting in the providence of God? It was even someone from a different country. Yeah. That shows you just how the Lord can bless mm-hmm. our efforts when we're trying to honor Christ and we're trying to serve Him well, doesn't it? He's doing a thousand things. We have no idea of how He's using us and how He is accomplishing His purposes through us. What would you say to a parent who's right in the middle of this right now? They're working with a child who's going the wrong direction, what advice would you have for them? Making sure that they tether themselves to the three anchors that will really stabilize their souls in the midst of it. Prayer, scripture, and engagement in a community of believers. Anytime you're facing an enduring trial, you need to hold on to those three things. You need to be in prayer, even though you may feel like your prayers aren't being answered because probably your most earnest prayer is for the rescue of your child. And you can lose heart, but Jesus told us to persevere and don't lose heart in prayer. And then in Scripture, because that's where you're going to find your help and hope, and that's also where you're going to be molded. The simple reality is the best thing you can do to help your prodigal is to grow in Christ-likeness yourself. That's how you are going to be best equipped to be able to respond to the challenges that arise. And you want to be able to anticipate what those challenges are 
And, and then third, being a part of the body of Christ. We need it for mutual encouragement and for accountability. And that means more than just showing up on Sunday morning. I mean, that's really important, obviously. I do believe in the power of the pulpit and the transforming power of the preached word. But we also need to rub shoulders with believers. Make sure you're in a small group, whether it's a mixed group of men and women or a men's group and a women's group for the wife and husband, respectively, so that there is a group that is rubbing shoulders with you and knows if you're holding fast to the spiritual disciplines, and realize that the Lord is working on you through this as well. Your focus will be, my child needs to change, but the Lord will use this trial and can use this trial to transform you as well, and seek how the Lord might be doing that in your life. It's not easy, though, when you're walking through a situation like this to let others in the church know, to be authentic. There's the desire just not to want anybody to know. So it's somewhat counterintuitive in some ways, isn't it? It is. The natural inclination is to withdraw. And from time to time, the Lord brings into our lives people who have prodigal children, and it's one of the things that we warn them about. And one of the best ways to make sure you don't withdraw is to be actively engaged in serving which is healthy for you anyway, because you can make your problem seem bigger than it is. It can become all-consuming to you, but it's not everything that's going on in life. And there are other people who are going through struggles too. They may not have the same struggle you have with a prodigal, but they've got other challenges. And being involved in regularly serving others, loving God and loving your neighbor, is one of the best ways to navigate the difficult waters of an enduring trial. It helps you not look inward so much, but rather to be more outward focused, as the Lord would want us to be. You know, I'm not sure I even made that connection before logically with you and your dear wife, Sue, but God's given you a ministry of serving people who are homeless Mm -hmm. in our town. Is there a sense in which, as you're serving men and women in that situation, that that helps you do exactly what you just said? You know, I think yes, and at the same time, it's also a challenge. You know, while our son was homeless, Mm. we were serving the homeless in our town. Wow. And I I can't tell you what an incredible challenge that was for us. So many times I would see the young men come in there, and I would see our son. Wow. I mean, not literally, but you know what I mean. But it also, in a sense, equipped us to be able to serve in that way. Every time I see a young man or a young woman come in, I know there's a parent or grandparent out yep, there somewhere, that's right. and and very likely someone praying for them, and they can't be there to help them, but I can be the hands and feet of Jesus to that person for yeah. someone else's prodigal child. Yeah. Does that fuel and inform the work you do even at a secular university. And I realize, you know, you can't be doing biblical counseling as you're teaching a Mm -hmm. a class at the university, but you're having an impact on young people and you're able to talk about choices that are going to lead one way and choices that are going to lead a different way. Has there been a a connection even in the way that you try to shepherd to the degree that you can the students at Purdue? Certainly it builds more compassion in you. I mean, when you have a prodigal child, it makes you compassionate for others who are walking through that experience with struggling with their children. And, you know, a prodigal child is the extreme, but no one becomes a prodigal overnight. There are significant heart issues that manifest themselves in different ways before that ever becomes to the point where they reject and walk away and commit themselves to a life of dissolution. And you become more compassionate when you realize, when you walk through that road, how hard it is for parents 
and even how hard it is for young people trying to find their way in a life that's very complicated and that they're really struggling through the midst of it. And you can be there to compassionately help, understand, and guide them. It's interesting that you would talk about responding to this with greater compassion for others, because I could understand that for some, they might become bitter, they might become cynical, they might become hardened. You've tried to do the opposite by coming closer to the Lord. You've allowed this challenge to make you a more compassionate person, even with students. I hadn't thought about that before. You know, Sue and I have often said, if all of our children turned out perfect, we would be pretty arrogant people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? and but, but having a prodigal child helps you realize how much you depend upon the Lord and how much it's sovereignly on his hands. You know, the real miracle is the fact that you have any believing children, yeah. Yeah. because as Jesus said, that's as mysterious as the wind, mm. and is his work, not ours. Yeah. And it reminds us of that reality and how much we need the Lord to work in people's lives, including our own. Yeah. Craig, can you talk about it from the perspective of a local church that's trying to serve a parent who's in this situation? I'm sure our church has failed many ways. I'm sure I've failed in many ways. It's, I know our hearts are right. We want to walk alongside a parent in this situation, but it's so hard to know how in the heat of the moment. Is there some advice that you would give about, please be sure to do this or please be sure not to do that? that churches could latch onto as we try to minister to parents in this situation? Yeah, that's a good question. One of my chapters is even focused on being judged by others. And so the first I would say is don't be judgmental. Mm -hmm. But the second is to encourage them not to grow weary. Mm. Now, because an enduring trial of any type, and certainly a prodigal child is just one of those enduring trials, it's easy to grow weary because it is incredibly draining, and it is something that never really leaves you. Mm. It is almost never a break because it's always on your mind and your heart. So I think encouraging parents of prodigals not to grow weary in doing good, as Paul said to the Thessalonians as he closed out his second epistle, he wrote that in response to his rebuke to people who are being idle and taking advantage of other believers. And then he turns to the other believers and says, and you... Don't grow weary in doing good. As a parent of a prodigal, you're going to be taken advantage of, Mm -hmm. and you're going to easily grow weary in doing good, and they need to be encouraged. And so coming alongside and being a source of encouragement may be the best thing that you can do. Yeah. You know, I can only imagine the amount of hours you put into each one of these projects, and you sure could have been doing other things that might have been more enjoyable on an immediate basis. But thank you for taking the time to write these books. Friends, I can't um, recommend them more highly to you as you would consider just whatever kind of ministry the Lord has for you. It might be worth having a copy or two of them just on your shelf for that day when you especially need them with someone who walks in the door that you didn't even know. Praise the Lord for providing these kind of resources to help us. And Craig, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us about them today. It's been an honor. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org. Or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org conferences. You can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts. And you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Now, our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.